0: If you like the Maniac and the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like, and don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories.
1: NEXT. My name is Tina. I work in a small hotel in the middle of nowhere, and that's not an exaggeration. The location was chosen because it is immediately off of the interstate. The exit from the interstate is the only exit for 20 miles either way. There's a gas station near the exit ramp. A quarter of a mile behind the gas station is the hotel. There are no other businesses in the area. Our hotel is quite small. It has two floors. 20 rooms on the first floor and 20 rooms on the second floor. People would likely be surprised if they realized that we sold out most nights, but it's true. It's a long stretch of lonely interstate with steady traffic. A lot of our customers are people we refer to as heavy lids. These are the people who are close to falling asleep at the wheel, so they stop and get a room. We get several truckers every night. These are the guys who don't have a sleeper in their cab or just want to stretch out in a real bed. Our hotel is also very popular for rendezvous, if you know what I mean. The middle of nowhere is a nice place to meet if you're having an affair. We also get a large number of very young couples who likely don't have a private location to do the deed and are tired of doing it in a cramped car. The night in question was an unusually slow night. This was due to a blizzard. The snowflakes were thick and heavy. I couldn't even make out the structure of the gas station through the blanket of snow. I could vaguely see their lights like a beacon in the night. It was the kind of night I would expect the hotel to sell out quickly, but the blizzard was a beast. Anybody with half a brain had packed it in for the night well before they traveled this far. Those who dared to press their luck likely slid off the road, or at best voluntarily pulled to the side to wait it out. On this night, only five of our rooms were being used. All five of the customers were taking shelter from the snowstorm. They managed to get off the interstate before the ramp became so caked with snow that it was impassable. The snow was supposed to stop around 6 a.m. The ramp in the interstate would be cleared enough to use by 10 a.m. Until then, nobody was going anywhere. It was currently 2 o'clock a.m. The customers were all in their room, and the lobby was eerily quiet save for the subtle hissing of the gas fireplace from across the lobby. I was sitting at the lobby desk reading a suspense novel and startled when I heard a loud notification beep coming from the hotel computer in the back office. I stepped into the darkened room. The only light was the glow of the computer monitor. There was ample illumination to guide me. I sat down at the computer and noticed that there was a new email in the hotel inbox. This was highly unusual for this time of night. The majority of hotel emails came in between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. After midnight, it was almost unheard of. I noticed that the email had no subject and no sender information. I clicked on it. The email consisted of just three words. You are next. A shiver ran down my spine. I took mild comfort in the fact that it was sent to the hotel in general and not me specifically, but still, it was creepy. I deleted it and stepped out into the lobby. I looked out the front window of the hotel. The gas station lights in the distance were the only signs of life I saw. I felt sorry for whoever was working the gas station on such a night. At least I had a cozier location to be stuck in. I pulled a lobby chair and ottoman close to the fireplace and sat down. I kicked off my shoes and threw my feet up as I leaned back and lost myself in my suspense novel. It was about 30 minutes later when I heard another loud ping of the email notification echoing in the gloomy hotel office. I stared at the lobby desk for a few minutes. I wasn't anxious to see what this one said. I would have preferred to ignore it, but it was my job to answer the phones and emails when they came in at night, so I got up and made my way back to the hotel office. I entered the office and flicked on the light, hoping the extra lighting would provide some comfort. And it did, until I stepped in front of the computer and looked at the new email unlike the last one this one did have a subject line i could feel my blood run cold when i read it tina i was frightened to open it but i slowly moved the mouse cursor over the email clicked it and read the message you are next two seconds after i read the cryptic message The hotel fell dark. There was a medley of machine beeps as they shut off the very second the power went out. This wasn't the first time I had been in the hotel when we lost power. It had happened twice before, once during a thunderstorm and once during heavy winds. Both times a backup generator kicked on, allowing the computers to be functional and providing minimal lighting in the halls and lobby. On this occasion, the backup generator did not come on. The hotel was pitch black. I had to feel my way out of the office. Once I reached the lobby desk, the glow of the gas-logged fireplace proved enough light for me to see. I stepped into the lobby and crinkled my brow in confusion as I looked out the front door of the hotel. The gas station lights were still on. This didn't make sense. I knew for a fact that the gas station and the hotel were on the same power grid, and the gas station did not have a backup generator. If our lights were out, theirs should have been out too. Why were they still on? This meant that the power outage was isolated to just the hotel, as if someone had cut the power. You are next. The email message kept flooding my mind. Someone sent me that message. They knew my name. Was it someone I knew or just someone who saw my name tag? Regardless, they knew where I was. Could they have cut the power? Could they be coming for me? Am I next? Next? What did that mean? Next for what? I was scared and decided to call the power company to alert them to our situation. And then I was going to call the hotel manager and wake them up to let them know what was happening, but also just to hear someone else's voice. The hotel's main switchboard would not be functional without electricity. Fortunately, my cell phone was in my purse in the office. But then I remembered I forgot my purse in the car. I was alerted to this fact earlier in the night when I went to pull a stick of gum from my purse under the lobby desk and grabbed nothing but air. Fortunately, there was a landline phone in the office that didn't require electricity. I could call out on that. With the assistance of the glimmer from the fireplace, I grabbed a book of matches from the lobby desk and lit a match so that I could make my way through the office to the phone. I picked it up, and to my dismay, there was no dial tone. This didn't make sense. The landline should be working. Why would it be dead? Did someone cut the phone line? I hurried out of the dark office to the lobby and stared out the hotel window at the gas station lights as I went over my options, of which there weren't many. I couldn't call anyone. My car wouldn't make it out of the parking lot if I attempted to drive somewhere. I certainly couldn't walk any distance in this weather. I was just going to have to wait it out, alone. But I wasn't alone. As I turned from the hotel door, I caught a glimpse of a dark figure standing in the corner of the lobby not far from the fireplace. They were hovering in the shadows, watching me. When they realized that i had spotted them they took a step forward they were still concealed by the shadows to the point where i couldn't make out any details but they were there and then they spoke in a whisper you are next i ran out of the lobby into the darkness of one of the hotel corridors there were five customers in the hotel with me I had placed them all in rooms in the same hallway to make maid service more convenient the following morning. I screamed as I ran down the hallway, Help me! Help me! I reached one of the rooms where I knew a couple was staying and pounded on the door. I was shocked when the door creaked open upon me hitting it. Hello? I still had the book of matches from the lobby desk. I lit one and it lit the room enough for me to see the blood-drenched walls and the mangled body of the couple who had been hacked to pieces. I screamed and dashed out of the room. I moved to the next room. The door was open as well. I hurried in and lit my match, only to be greeted by a decapitated head that was placed on top of the mini-fridge. I didn't even need to enter the next two rooms as the blood from the massacre within it pooled out into the corridor. I entered the fifth room that housed a live body earlier in the night. Now it only housed a dead body. The words, you are next, were scrawled in blood on the wall. I darted from the room. At the far end of the corridor was an exit door to the parking lot. If I could make it to that door, perhaps I could get outside and drudge my way through the blizzard to the gas station for help. It was my only chance. As I ran down the corridor, I could hear a sinister hiss coming from the other end of the hall. You. Are. Next. They were chasing me. I could hear the footsteps closing in on me as they continued to hiss out. You. Are. Next. I kicked myself into a gear I didn't realize I had and tore down the hallway and finally reached the glass exit door. I thrust it open. But the imposing snowbank on the other side of the door would only allow it to open a few inches. I pushed and shoved with all my might, but the door wouldn't budge. The last words I heard before I felt the knife sink into my back were, You. Are. Next.
0: Twins. My name is Peter. I have an identical twin brother named Victor. Me and Victor may look exactly alike, but that's where our similarities end. Victor is evil. The first time I witnessed his malevolence was when we were five. We were on the porch with our parents. They had invited the neighbors over. They had a baby who was only a few months old. The baby was in a stroller. One had to walk up eight stairs to reach the porch. The neighbors made the mistake of leaving the baby in the stroller too close to the stairs. Victor didn't like the baby. When my parents and the couple were engrossed in conversation, Victor saw his opportunity and gently pushed the stroller with the baby down the stairs. The baby survived but had a nasty gash over one of his eyes that would likely leave a permanent scar. My parents blamed me for the accident. I guess I expected Victor to confess and get me off the hook, but instead he grinned at me as my mother slapped my face. This was a reoccurring theme throughout my life. Evil Victor would do something bad. Innocent Peter would get blamed. Everyone thought I was the bad one. For the longest time, I kept Victor's nefarious acts a secret. I always hoped guilt would one day overtake him and divulge the ugly truth and shed light on my innocence. But alas, Victor knew not what guilt was. I tried to explain it to him, but it simply didn't resonate. He'd grow aggravated with me trying to describe what guilt felt like, and he'd yell at me and insist that if I did not shut up, he'd do something bad and blame it on me. It was when we were ten that I accepted the fact that he never intended on coming forward as I hoped he would. We were on the playground at school during recess when Victor pulled out a pocket knife and cut a little girl's arm because she wouldn't kiss him. When the teachers tried to punish me for my brother's dastardly deed... I finally spoke up for myself. Victor did it. It was Victor. It has always been Victor. It felt good to get that off my chest, but they didn't believe me. It was as though they couldn't even bring themselves to consider that Victor might be the guilty party. When we were 13, Victor and I asked my mother for a video game console for Christmas. She said that we didn't deserve it and refused. I understood victor had done so many bad things over the years she was right we didn't deserve it but victor didn't understand he grew angry and pushed the christmas tree over onto my mother and then proceeded to kick her in the ribs again and again when my father got home from work he beat the hell out of me i was forced to see a psychiatrist who committed me to a psychiatric hospital for six months When we turned 16, Victor had his heart set on a new car. When my father refused to get us one, Victor bashed his brains in with a hammer. As usual, I was the one they blamed, and I was committed to an asylum where I still reside. I didn't even bother trying to explain to them that it was Victor that killed my father, and that it was Victor who had done all the wicked things I had been accused of for my entire life they wouldn't believe me. To them, Victor didn't exist because he died in the womb and they can't see him. But he's here. He's always with me everywhere I go. And he's just as evil as ever. No one is safe around me because no one is safe around Victor. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to com slash support. That's com slash support.